0: Humanize Me with Bart Campolo.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is going to be the shortest intro ever. Not because I don't have lots of wonderful things to say, because I do. I have lots of wonderful things to say. But the truth of the matter is, I have to go to school in like 15 minutes. Graduate school. I am a graduate student. I have not, I don't think I've made this common knowledge, but it's true. I am getting a master's degree. I'm a full-time student right now. And you know, if anybody shows any interest, send me an email. I'd be glad to tell you all about it. I'm not going to tell you my whole, I'm not going to foist upon you my whole academic, you know, professional life. I'm just telling you, I'm trying to better myself. So I'm in school. And right now it's kind of kicking my butt a little bit time-wise. Between that and babysitting my granddaughter, and uh, which, by the way, I, I like, I want to post pictures of my granddaughter on the Humanize Me site. I know it's wrong, I know it's self indulgent, but gosh, I love that kid so much. I just, something about being as old as I am and seeing a young life, it's just so joyful. I can't even tell you. All right, enough of that. So, anyway, speaking of joyful and wonder and amazement, when I think of those things, I think of, among other people, Carl Sagan, kind of the, the the patron saint of scientific wonder and of poetic truth and of challenging people to be as excited about life and about learning and about growing uh, as secular people, uh, as any religious... Uh, zealot could ever be. And a lot of my friends would say that Carl Sagan has been a huge influence on their life. Um, And recently, one of my friends said, hey, you know what? I've actually become friends with Carl Sagan's daughter, Sasha. And she is amazing. She is good people. She is a community builder. And she is a person who is really trying to help people figure out how to experience the wonder that her father so eloquently talked about. But how to experience on a, on a, on a local level, on a daily basis, in their families, in their daily lives. And uh, so my friend Holly introduced me to, to Sasha. And as soon as I started talking with her, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a good conversation to share. So I, I hated as a kid and as an adult, and even to this day, when people were like, Bart Campolo, are you Tony Campolo's son? And like, I get reduced to that. And I sort of assumed that Sasha would hate it if I too closely associated her with her dad. But as the interview wore on, it became very clear that she didn't mind a bit, that she's happily ensconced in that whole kind of family business. Um, but she's doing it in a very different way. I think you'll really like her. I really like Sasha Sagan, and I think she's got something to tell us about um, rituals and how the, and where they come from and how we can use them. So I'm not going to beat you up with more. i got to go to school. I'm just going to tell you. This is my conversation with Sasha Sagan. I loved it. I hope you do too. I'll see you on the other side. Hey! Hi. Thank you for doing this.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to talk to you, Bart.
1: Well, that, that, I, I, I don't know why you would be, but <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm glad you are. I, oh. I, I'll take you at your word.
0: I am. It's true.
1: So where are you as I'm talking to you?
0: Oh, I'm in my apartment in Boston, Massachusetts.
1: And, and where? what part of Boston do you live in?
0: Oh, in the South End. It's really cute. <laughs> my sister
1: my sister um, and her husband live in Brookline.
0: Oh yes, it's lovely there.
1: And so I get I get to that part of Boston fairly often, but I don't get to almost any of the rest of it.
0: It's it's funny, we moved here, I don't know, about four and a half years ago. And, you know, I mean, I lived in New York for a long time and I I do miss it. But there's something about Boston that's really lovely. And especially with a small child, it's like a really manageable city, but still has like beautiful museums and an aquarium and all sorts of really lovely things like that.
1: So oftentimes when I'm talking to people, i'm just talking to them because they're interesting but and 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 not that but in your case you you've got a book
0: yes i do ah
1: when did this book get published
0: it was published in October, um, so I spent a lot of the fall traveling around and getting to talk to people um, and meet very interesting people who asked very good questions in a bunch of bookstores and libraries around the country, um, and that was really thrilling and fun and, and fascinating, so I'm just sort of coming, coming back to earth from that experience.
1: So are you exhausted of talking about this book? Should I talk to you about something else?
0: No, no, (laughs) no, I'm happy to talk about it. And I'm generally like kind of a chatty person. So I enjoy, I enjoy having these conversations.
1: So, so I felt like when I read the book that I was this uniquely interested reader, like this book is the book for me. Like, I am a guy who... Oh, thank you. But but in a weird way, I was like, th- this book has an audience of three, like me and my two best friends, <laughs> because we're these people that grew up in Christianity. And like, I was a Christian mm-hmm. minister for 30 years. And... Yes. And sort of my my faith died the death of a thousand cuts. And, and I finally ended up leaving the faith and sort of going like, I... Th- th- there's I think I think one of your one of your elders once said like the only sin would be to pretend and
0: uh yes exactly and I
1: got to the place where it would have been a sin for me to to continue to call myself a Christian and so I stepped out. Mm. And mm. when I did I immediately went looking for the community of people that wanted to pursue love and meaning and make the world a better place who didn't believe in God. Yeah. Like I went looking for that church. Yes. And and I couldn't find it. I F- yes. found a lot of angry atheist clubs, found a lot yeah. of angry atheist clubs, <laughs> um, Yeah, you know, but I couldn't find this warm, loving community that had songs and rituals and that that had a shared sense of mission in the world and a commitment to sacrificial service to others and all of that stuff that I had loved about being a Christian.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: You didn't grow up in that. You didn't grow up in this hyper religious community.
0: No, I grew up totally secular. With a kind of, um, you know, we're Jewish and we have um, we had Jewish holidays, but in a very secular way. And we had traditions that were sort of an homage in many cases to our our ancestors. Um, but there was no um, theistic element. And I think there might be an element because. I don't because I didn't have to rebel in this way, and I didn't have. To, I mean, it, it, it's. I think there's something very different about the experience of coming to it on your own, growing up in a religious family or a religious community, and coming to it on your own versus just being brought up this way with the skepticism and the combination of, you know, skepticism without cynicism, still feeling, you know, a sense of like joy and wonder and awe, but no, no religion. And, um, you know, a sense of wonder and awe that comes from, from science, from the things that are supported by evidence. And it's been really interesting meeting people who, um, were brought up in a very devout, sometimes closed community, and then came to it on their own because it's like I think the pendulum has to swing sometimes, where you know it's really hard not to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, then we're not going to do any of this stuff. But there are some things that are really valuable um, in religious traditions, and I think marking time and celebrating and and having a framework for grief um, are are really important and having a sense of community and like a group to, 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 you know, have support from in the good times and the bad times. And I think that secular people, I
1: mean, but here's, did you have that or did you long for that?
0: I longed for like the sense of like community um, that I would have had like on a weekly basis. But I have like the thing that I have that I think is sort of similar to that while it's not like going to a, I mean, I would love to go to like a very grand, especially like architecturally pleasing place every week and, you know, like listen to a lecture and get together and figure out where we're going to volunteer in a totally secular way. And it's I mean, you know, I think that there that at this moment in our culture, some of those. Some version of that, some elements of that are starting to pop up in different places because people really do crave it, um, but they don't want to just go through the motions if they don't believe, you know? Well, Um, sidebar. Yes.
1: Yeah, total sidebar here, but like... Yes. Come to Cincinnati and you (laughs) can come to Caravan, which is the, 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 the little humanist community that my friends and I have put together the last couple of years. And it is just that, like a beautiful architectural space and, you know, not a lecture, but kind of a message and music and meditations. And it is just that, that kind of regular in the flow of your life community. Um, I
0: would love to come to that. That sounds fantastic.
1: But, you know, it's taken me years to get to the place where I could figure that out. And one of the things that's hardest about building that kind of community is the ritual side of it. Because yes. so many of the people that are in our in our gang um, are sort of triggered by th- they're sort of f- fearful of anything right. that smacks of of the old traditions, and yet right. the old traditions come from somewhere, don't
0: they? Absolutely, and it can feel a little bit contrived to come up with something new that's not based in something you know that you learned from your grandparents that they learned from their grandparents you know it's it's some it's such a fine line to walk but i think what fascinates me and what i'm so was so astonished by while i was researching is that underneath so many of our traditions around the world and throughout time there is beneath the specifics of time and place and lore and mythology and theology there is a tiny sometimes tiny kernel of a real, tangible, provable scientific phenomenon. And whether that is, you know, astronomical, like the changing of the, you know, the solstices and equinoxes, um, you know, meteorological, changing of the seasons, often we associate with the change in weather, or biological, birth, coming of age, death, you know, coming of age is such a big one. We have so many coming of age rituals around the world, but we're so removed from what it's really about, which is a biological Change in a human body, um, and I think that when we peel all the all the um, specifics away, we have something that is totally provable, evidence based, and really worthy of celebration. Or, you know, in, in the case of, of 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 a death, really worthy um, of of serious philosophical and emotional attention and I think we're all we all have these same land you know landmarks in in our lives and these these changes that we're trying to process and I think even if you don't believe anything um, supernatural uh, you still have to deal with these these changes that that happen sometimes cyclically and sometimes permanently
1: yeah many of the rituals that we developed in our religions, we're, on on the surface, it seems like oh, we're celebrating God for the harvest, or right. we're celebrate, we're thanking God for for this baby being born, or we're dedicating this baby to God, or and it seems like it's all about God, but underneath it, we're going like, there's food, there's a harvest, yes, and these people are getting married, and yes. this baby just got born, and so they really are, or they they really are celebrating nature.
0: Yes. And I mean, a baby being born, it's so innately, you know, this, this wonderful feeling we all feel when a new baby in the world, but it's, you know, it's like our DNA is going to go on a little longer. Our group's going to survive. You know, there's another generation after we're gone. And like those things don't require theism to, to, to be really moving.
1: No, you know, it's, it's funny too, because I, it, when you're post-religious like I am, a lot of my f- religious friends and family will come to me and go, oh, so now you worship science. Yeah. Like you're, you know, and and it's taken me a long time to realize that it isn't science that I celebrate. It, it's nature. Science is the the way, like nature is the thing I really love. Science is the way I love it.
0: Right. It's the way
1: I I see it. It's the way I apprehend
0: it. So my mom would say, uh, like, nature as revealed by science. It's like the method to understanding versus the thing that's in and of itself. And I think that there's something really valuable about that. And the thing that's so amazing is, you know, when... Ideas are tested and, you know, hypotheses have to fall away when they don't stand up to scrutiny. The place where it leads um, is so unpredictable and so amazing. It really does. I mean, I really struggle with like the language to use because I want to say all these words like miraculous and sacred and holy and even magical, which has a theistic um, root, you know, and it's like people are like, well, how can you how can you use those words if you don't if you're not seeing this from a spiritual, um, another one of those words, um, perspective, and it's like there's there are some words missing in the English language um, that perfectly capture this nuance. But those emotions and that experience is still there, even you know when you see images from deep space. Um, at least for me, you know, even if it's if if it's a totally secular revelation.
1: Yeah. So there's this nature thing, and then there's this human experience of being a human in nature thing. And you, at one point, you say, all the animals live within the terrestrial cycle. All the animals do this, but humans are the only ones that celebrate.
0: Right. Well, it's a little tongue in cheek. There's not really, you know, there's not a lot of parties being thrown among other species, to my knowledge. Um, but yes, it's true. And but it's that's
1: like, not I'm, no, that's not <laughs> that's not inconsequential. I mean, every, I read so many science books where they're like, what sets humans apart from the others is our ability to project into the future or our opposable thumbs or like people always are like what makes humans different than everybody else. And so I feel like that's a very common sort of scientific theme.
0: That's true. You do that, see that a that lot. Keeps,
1: and when you read like Franz de Waal and those primatologists, they're like, listen, you thought that having a moral code was human. Right, right, but right. bonobos have a moral code. Elephants oh, totally. grieve they're, they're dead. So Absolutely. Like, that's not it.
0: Absolutely. And I feel like every time, well, it's like every time we try to set ourselves apart from the other creatures on earth, we get totally, we end up being totally wrong. Um, So maybe we'll discover. Right, but this might be it.
1: You (laughs) might have hit it. You might have hit
0: it. Well, until we find like a tribe of chimpanzees who are like having big New Year's Eve parties that we didn't know about. but um, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, but um, I I think it's like, you know, I, I think it's because we're so Well, I don't know why it is, but I think that it's like we, I mean, the stuff that's, let me put it this way. We're part of nature. So, but we have this self-reflective thing, which I don't know. I don't necessarily think it's, it's only us, but we do have it. And we're just constantly trying to get a, grasp on what's happening and when it's going to happen. And what do we do when it happens? Whether that means like when it's going to get cold or when the rains are going to start or when someone's going to die and when someone's going to be born. And we're not like totally great at predicting all of these things sometimes we get it right but sometimes we don't and it just tortures us (laughs) that we can't predict the future we really have a hard time with it and I think we have a hard time with it on a really small daily scale of like oh when am I gonna get that important email or you know is the person I have a crush on gonna write me back or you know that kind of stuff and in these huge like you know existential crisis like what happens when we die or is the planet going to explode like what are we doing questions and I think so much of what we do large and small is a way of coming to grips with our inability to predict the future and I think that's why we have rituals
1: yeah not just to predict the future either is it i mean i was thinking of your the title of the book for creatures such for small creatures such as we and sometimes it's that sense of when you get out a telescope and you realize just how tiny we are and how brief our lifespans are um and how infinitesimally unimportant we are in the broad scheme of things um that in the face of that kind of finitude, we, we, we cry out for meaning. We're like, they're, they're, come on, give me, give me something, you know? Yeah. And so, and so I think, I wonder if in some ways celebrating, ritualizing a certain, you know, is our way of sort of screaming this. The, we may not be meaningful to the rest of the universe, but damn it, we're meaningful to ourselves and we're meaningful to each other.
0: Yes. And it's also just like, I think, I think as it's, yes, it's to make ourselves feel important for sure. And to process change and to face that, you know, I think deep down, you know, even if you're very religious and you believe that when we die, you know, we go to an afterlife, no matter what, or, are re, or are reincarnated, no matter what you believe, comes next this this thing we're doing right now comes to an end right i don't know of any religious tradition that thinks like when you die then you wake back up um like in russian doll and you just keep living your life you know you you're since maybe you're in some other body or you're in some other world some other plane of existence and this this thing that we're all in right now is in a totally final way over. And I think that concept, that idea, you know, is really a huge part of what we struggle to come to terms with. And I think the idea of repeating something and, uh, feeling connected to the people who are already gone, who did this thing on this day, made this dish, said these words, whatever it is, and teaching it to our children and saying, okay, when I'm gone, you got to keep doing this stuff, um, is really, um, a huge part of the way we, we deal with our own mortality. And, then, but I think the problem is then people feel this enormous sense of obligation to carry on rituals that maybe don't speak to them. And they feel, you know, the specifics feel very ancient sometimes. But no matter what you're doing, or what your grandparents like taught you, it's, you know, the way they're doing it uh is only a few hundred or a few thousand years old, almost certainly, you know, on the scale of the human history on the scale of the age of the planet everything the most traditional things that we can think of are still brand new so i hope that alleviates some of the sense of obligation that we sometimes feel to not be the first person to not do the thing you know but
1: but yet you i don't think i don't sense you want me to feel an obligation but i think you want me to sense an opportunity to do something
0: yeah to
1: you know, we, i may not do the thing that that my grandparents did. But you, like, talk just a little bit about what you think ritual does for an individual, like how it helps a person.
0: Well, I think that we crave a rhythm to our lives. And listen, I don't think it's like, if it's not for you, you know, I don't think it should be like mandatory. But for those of us who are in this funny place where, We don't believe or we're not part of a religious community or, um, you know, maybe people who are like a little bit skeptical or, you know, and so they believe part of it, but they can't deal with some particular element of it. You know, we have to figure out how to navigate this and, and not necessarily go through the motions of things that we don't agree with, but also not totally throw out the stuff that is meaningful to us. If, if we have that craving to, to, you know, do something celebratory in the winter when it's cold and the days are short. And if you have that urge to like have a wedding, you know, I mean, if you want to go to City Hall, that's fine, too. But if you're like, I want to have a wedding um, and every wedding I've been to is presided over by a religious official and it's about God, but I don't want to have that kind of wedding. Well, okay, I think a lot of people, you know, I mean, are navigating this right now, you know, who are. Who are who are getting to the, the age of getting married. And I can't get over like how many friends I have who like just regularly are being, you know, ordained on the Internet to be able to perform marriages because people really want to still have these life affirming life marking um rites of passage um but they don't want to do it in the way that maybe their parents did and so i think if you have that craving you know that you want that rhythm to your life that sense of community and also to increase the 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 to increase your your sense of celebration and and if you know for those of us who don't believe that anything comes next and that life is finite and we are tiny in a great big universe that doesn't care about our little out of the way planet well then what is on the other side of the totally bleak existential crisis that I totally I know I know it well um and relate to it but like what's on the other side of that is well we're here right now we're alive right now and if we you know fall in love or like you know have a have a baby or um have some deep understanding some discovery some joy some adventure uh you know any of those kind of things that bring us bring people pleasure well, then, you know, we should really, really lean into that beauty and awe and excitement um, and think, well, you know, this might not be forever. Um, it's probably not forever, but it's happening right now. And we're here and we're in it together and harness that into into more joy.
1: I am so surprised by that answer. Um, <laughs> no, no, I, I am. Because I, I, you know how sometimes when you're talking to somebody, you like you, you think you're lobbing them a softball, and, yeah. and you're like, I, I know what she's going to say, and that's why I'm going to ask it. I thought sure that you were going to talk about the real utility or value of these things being as a way of translating our values to children.
0: Oh, that's a good answer too. <laughs> No,
1: no, no, just because, I don't disagree, no, just because as I was reading the book, I was thinking, at each stage, you sort of talk about either your parents translating certain ideas to you or you trying to translate them to your daughter mm. and and growing up in church, that was mm-hmm. one of the interesting things was it was a multi-generational community it wasn't just a bunch of 20 year olds going like how can we have a wonderful hip wedding um right it was people going like how do we honor our parents and our grandparents but also make it work for our kids and that rituals were really about communicating values and ideas um and and sort of culture and commitments and and even moments of history that's why i think sometimes they they're meaningful for a ye- a, a year or for a 100 years but then years later mm. i mean i was at the i was just at the world trade center memorial yeah and i was watching like 14 year olds running around there and realizing that this memorial means one thing to me yeah it means something very different to them in the same way that when i was in europe with my parents the World War II stuff meant something yeah. very different to them than it did to me.
0: Oh, absolutely! No, I I lived in New York on on nine eleven. I was a, two weeks into my sophomore year of NYU, and you know it was obviously yeah traumatic. And now when I'm around there, and you see people, young people, or just people like taking selfies and stuff, and it's like it's. I mean, it's not. I mean, I am sure I've done that in places, you know, around the world as a tourist, right. where I've thought, "Oh, this is so interesting," and you know, been kind like I am on vacation and like had this just totally different experience of some very somber place um, that that I just didn't connect to in the same way than the people who who were there the people who built the memorial you know and i i've definitely had that thought there and i think that's true and that's why we're not we're not doing the same same things that that human beings were doing you know 7000 years ago are are but, in certain ways, we are I mean, there are some things that we that we have been doing since since very early on in our species um, history um, but i I think that there is. I think everything you said is right. There is a, a, you know, traditions and and rituals are about passing on values to children. And it's like, you can't just, and I think I write about this in the book. It's like, you can't just say like, here is a list of bullet points that uh, we think are important. And, um, you know, this, I'll just print this out for you, child. And then you'll, you'll get the hang of what we're doing here. It's like this telling of stories, the retelling of stories, the, the idea that there's, that, you know, there are these characters yeah, and these, right. you know, and experiencing, you know, fear and glory and all the things that you fear, you feel when you're hearing a story, um, uh, I think get, get that stuff in, in the human brain in a so, different so, way.
1: So growing up in your household, yeah, what were the rituals that communicated to you most powerfully your parents' values? And your parents, your parents vision of the, of the, of the world and the universe.
0: So, I mean, a couple that I talk about in the book, one is, and it's funny because it's like, I only later started thinking about it as a ritual, but the best, best thing I could do as a child was to ask a question that my parents didn't know the answer to. That was like gold star, like very, like they were really happy and impressed because it was like, I had this curious mind and I was going beyond what I had been taught. Um, and so we would in those days, um, look up the answer in the Encyclopedia Britannica. And that was like this now in retrospect, I see it as like this holy ritual where it was like more information. Um, and then, you know, sometimes that, that, little passage, um, or entry would lead to another question. Well, who's this person or what, where, what country is that? Or, you know, whatever it was. Um, and it, and that really like cemented a lot in my mind in terms of, curiosity being a value questioning being a value don't take anything on authority which then of course it got to a certain point when i was like the encyclopedia britannica is not the end-all be-all most enlightened source of information in the whole wide world but it was what we had at the time and um so that was a big one. And then we had a, and I still do this, um, but we had a secular Passover Seder. Um, my grandparents would come up from, from the city and, um, you know, the theme opposed to, oh, we were enslaved in Egypt and thank you so much to Yahweh for parting the sea so that we could get out. Um, the theme was more like, we were enslaved we're free now we're very lucky other people are still enslaved literally and metaphorically because of oppression and prejudice and poverty and all these other things and um this is a moment to to think about that and um and understand that you know even though times are good right now for us that they haven't always been and they aren't for everybody But still, in the context of springtime, I mean, right, all the springtime, not all, but many springtime rituals have this theme of, I mean, Easter is a very good example, where the theme is like, wow, that was really close. That looked really, really bad, but it turned out okay. And that is, I imagine, the most ancient experience of springtime. Winter, you know, it was not a given that everybody or anybody was going to survive that there was going to be enough food that we were, our, you know, each of our little tribes was going to get through it. And then once the weather changed and things started to bloom and there was more food growing, um, and more animals, uh, you know, producing young, um, we thought, okay, few things are looking up. Yeah, Winter was kind of
1: like an annual crisis.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But, and it's, so it's, I it's, think- it, but it's funny, like in the Jewish culture, Passover, you know, mm-hmm. there was a very specific crisis and right. the, and the idea is, oh my gosh, if we hadn't gotten through that, we wouldn't be here. Right. So we celebrate. Right. And, you right. know, it, it's funny because I was thinking that, and, and maybe, maybe I'm I'm stretching too far, but like bringing you back to that idea of miracles. Right. In in all of our histories, there are a thousand improbabilities or or miracles, if yes. you will, without which we would not be here.
0: Absolutely. Oh, and I I, I write about that and like think of all the people who had to get together for you to be born. You well, know, every could you tell the story?
1: Could you tell that story about your grandparents on the subway? Because that that was oh, just yes. so beautiful to me.
0: Thank you. My grandparents, my mother's parents, Harry and Pearl, um, met on the New York City subway. And he was reading a William Faulkner book. And she happened to sit down next to him. And when he went – this is so romantic. When he went to turn the page, she was she put her hand on his hand and said, wait, I'm not finished. She had been reading over his shoulder. And they got married and they had – two kids, one of which was my mom. And I'm here today because she got on that exact subway card, And, you know, she, that was her train station because her parents had chosen to move to New York City when they, you know, emigrated here. Um, and, you know, a th- and and to that neighborhood and that stop. And, you know, my grandfather was, lived on that subway line too. And he had gotten on, I mean, you know, it's like one, one thing is different that morning, you know, you, there's
1: right you know who knows one thing's different a morning a thousand years earlier when the guy who invented subways
0: right 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 exactly or the person who was doing the city planning for the borough of queens right you know exactly like changes things slightly or the person who does the schedule or everything ever and so there's two ways to look at this right um One is, well, of course it was going to happen because it was fate or it was preordained in some way or you were destined for this to be born. You know, each of us in all the different subway cars, metaphorical and literal in the history of the world, Um, which I I, that is my position is I um, withhold belief without evidence. And I have no evidence to support the idea that everything is preordained or meant to be. Everything happens for and a reason, so, Sasha. Right. Right. And you hear that all the time as a, and 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 it, people offer it to make you feel better. But I actually think um, nothing happens for a reason. And it's amazing. And it's great because it's like, it's more right if everything was always going to work out the way it worked out then there's nothing to celebrate because the only thing that had to happen was the universe had to start you know or the alternative is it's totally like bonkers out there and everything is just wild and the fact that anything works out ever is a joyful amazing thing that we should celebrate and for lack of a secular version of this word it's miraculous it's not a miracle if it was always going to happen you know
1: and and you know the the vast improbability of there being life at all or or right. of, or of there being intelligent life or of there being your life or my life or any right. of it to me i do think that on the one hand You know, if I'm dying of tuberculosis after being abused as a kid and having a horrible, miserable life, there's something horrible about somebody saying, you know, this was ordained. Like somebody, like somebody set up the world and this is, you know, this is what you got. Um, So in some sense, freeing us from fate or God at least makes me feel like. The universe may not be on my side, but it's not against me either.
0: Right. And there's another point related to this, which is I think those of us who don't think that there's an enormous moral safety net and that the bad guys are going to get their comeuppance and the good guys are going to get their reward later, and this is just a dress rehearsal for this, you know, divine justice that's coming— Well, if we don't think that's the case, then there is more of a moral imperative on us to make the world more fair and more just and take care of the person who's dying of tuberculosis. And I think that's something that I really wish was a bigger part of secular culture, volunteering, giving, you know, the the idea of like, you you have so many religious groups who, to their credit, I mean, this is the thing that I, I admire most about religious life is the organization and and social pressure to go help people um and i wish that that was more of um
1: and that's the the chapter i wanted in your book yes i wanted i wanted the chapter that sort of says that tells stories about improbability and how there's nothing happening for like it's crazy out there and that then makes the point if that's true then the only justice that there will ever be in the world is that which we make and so, yes. like, we, like, no one's coming to save us. No one's coming to fix it. Nuff, like, like, the only order in the universe is that which we impose on our little corner of it for a minute before nature wipes it out all over again. But, like, justice is yeah. us doing something. And so, I, I feel like there's a ritual I, we need to invent that sort of ends up a kid at the end of it goes, so we're responsible for feeding the poor, right? right? Like, that's us. Right,
0: right. Right, and I do touch on it a little bit in the feast and fast chapter, but I think it's a really good point, and it's something I definitely would, you know, want to write about more. And and the other end, the other side of it is, it also solves the problem of secular life, which is you get a community. If you're meeting once a week to figure out, okay, which where which soup kitchen are we going to go to, or how are we going to organize to find shelter for this family who, you know, has lost their home or whatever it is, um, you're also getting that sense of community um, and and, and that like camaraderie that I think we sometimes have to really carve out for ourselves if we don't have a religious weekly appointed group activity.
1: I mean, that was the cool thing about the religion that I grew up in was the idea wasn't we must serve the poor because God calls us to do it or commands us to do it especially in the later part of my religious life sort of the, the teaching was God, God isn't capable of doing it. Like God is constrained. Wow. Yeah. Um, human really? free. Yes. Because it, this was the weird math was because God is loving and he wants us to love him. He, love can only exist in an atmosphere of freedom. So God can't make you do anything. He can't make anybody do anything. He can only ask you to do as well. Huh. And therefore, um, God can't intervene. All he can do is beg you to do so. And so, you know, you, you're the only like, like, like we were the ones that were responsible for caring for other people. That God was weeping as people starved going, why, like, why can't I convince them to do anything about this? And we were wow, all going, like, God, why don't such you feed an them?
0: Interesting- that's such an interesting theology. Oh, I preached that really, stuff.
1: I preached that stuff yeah. for years.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I had never heard that yeah, yeah. Um, but, approach before. No, that was
1: why it was hard for me to leave leave faith because by the time at the end of my faith, God, like God didn't actually do anything, mm. and so I wasn't mad. at you know if you think God's in charge, you you, you right. got to hate him. He's a, you know it's horrible like this is right, your idea of a good dying, time right yeah. right right, you know? right 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 so right. so ultimately you have to kind of evacuate god of any agency and and the only way to do that would be to, to to shift the agency onto people and in some ways that's the part when i came into secular humanism i thought that we would have down is i thought that they would understand like hey we're all we've got right you know, you know, so of course it is you know it is it is our responsibility to take care of our brothers and sisters, but it, strangely, that is not part of most of the communities I've come across.
0: So, what do you think? How do how do we do that? What do we do? <laughs> What's your what do you think?
1: Well, I, I I do think part of it has to do with talking about the science or the, the nature of nature, the nature of the world that says that. Nobody takes care of the cockroaches, but the cockroaches. Um, Nobody takes care of the frogs, but the frogs. Um, Mm -hmm. That that we're all interconnected and we all are are relating. But in a sense, our DNA, each each species has an impulse to, to pass on its own DNA to ensure that it goes forward. And that altruism and cooperation and love our outgrowths of this fundamental instinct to, to for life to move on.
0: Oh, that and sense, that we, in particular, as a species, are have evolved to get along in groups because otherwise, we're, you know, that's, how we survive. that's our whole love, love vibe. Our, yeah. It's our
1: strategy. It's our, it's our life <laughs> right. strategy. And right. so I think on some level, we've got to get much better at celebrating the impulse to live. I mean, one of the things mm. is... And, and and talking about how unique it is to be some of the very small percentage of matter and energy in the universe that is alive, yeah, and and, and aware and, and, of itself, and aware of itself. And so I think on some level, I, I was listening to somebody the other day, and they said we would treat each other so differently if we we would treat people so differently if we thought they had souls. Hmm. Huh. And 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 I think. On some level, what he was saying is, is, we would treat people differently if we recognized how rare and precious and miraculous and amazing it is that they are alive and conscious and have a moment on this, a moment of of of, of consciousness and a moment of life. And, I think and we I,
0: would treat people so differently if we had. A concept if we were really in our day to day lives aware of like how vast the universe is and what a tiny little rowboat we're all in together in this enormous ocean of, as you know, either nothing or mystery or, you know, some other thing we haven't come upon yet. And like this idea that, like, it's like, you know, you, the, it's like a psychological yeah, whenever thing. Whenever you come it's like across few, two
1: people on a raft in the middle of the ocean, they're always clinging to each other.
0: Right, right. Well, and it's like this thing about like, if you're from, I don't know, like if you're from Philadelphia and uh, you go to New York and you meet someone from New York, you're like, oh, we're so different. But if you, the two of you run into each other, you know, in, in Tasmania, yes. right, exactly. You're like, oh, we're the same, you know, and I right 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 we're from the northeast whatever we both like baseball whatever it is but it's like um I think there's like if we could look at our ourselves from that perspective of like we have we I mean we share so much more than we realize and there are these little superficial differences that we emphasize to the to the point where we're ready to kill each other over them and they are so minute compared to everything that's identical about us.
1: So so there are, and I think there are ways at, like there are different emotions that would drive us to serve each other and love each other more. And I think sometimes getting out a telescope, you know, might do it. And then other times I think watching a baby be born and talking about, as you do when you talk about birth. Kind of how do we celebrate birth? and how do we make birth such a thing as to remind the whole community of, oh my gosh, a human being is an incredible improbability. We must guard yeah. this. We yeah. must like this is a an unbelievable opportunity that we have to nurture this child. And, and to help it grow up with a positive self-esteem and to have, have it grow up with a sense of, like, we, we get another chance here. Um, right. And, it, and, 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 it's not mundane. It's, it's, it's precious. Uh, so I think there are a lot of different ways into it, but, but, but I think the beginning of it is recognizing that we value justice for very natural reasons and we value love for very natural reasons. Um but we can't count on those things to come to us from anywhere else Me, that that part of the universe that meaning is something that we manufacture and we've i think we have to sort of dignify and celebrate the manufacturing of meaning and so you know like the that there are there are probably heroes that we should be you know Abraham Lincoln is a great hero and in, 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 in Martin Luther King, the, these are people to celebrate, but sometimes I think we don't celebrate that they made meaning. They made more meaning where there was less meaning. Mm. They made more justice where there was less justice. Yeah,
0: um, yeah, But yeah, I also think, like, sure. I think in
1: your family, so, like, I think there's something about celebrating the moment on the subway,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that story getting passed down, that in a sense says, hey, to be a Sagan, I mean, It's remarkable that we're here. What are we going to do with this? Like we won the lottery. We won the New York subway lottery. What are we going to do with this blessing?
0: Right. I think that for all of us, um, you know, if you got to the point where you are alive right now, so much had to happen. And, you know, and it wasn't all like, you know, meet cutes on the subway. Some of it was like, you know, going back thousands of years, it's almost inevitable that there were some really horrible, horrible things. Also circumstances that led to you, but you're here right now. And, um, and I think exactly right. The, that's, that's what's so powerful to me. is like, if this is not a dress rehearsal and this is it, this is our moment. Well, what are we going to do with it? And how are we going to make things more, more just? And, you know, when you talk about Martin Luther King and Abraham Lincoln, you know, in retrospect, we have this idea that, like, of course they were right and were they're worthy of being celebrated, and um, they, you know, were so. They they led this path, and and here we all are. But we have to remember that at the time during their lives, they were taking enormous risks that did not necessarily seem like the clear, bright right answer to the people who were living, um, at the same time. And, you know, they said things that were controversial and they were, a lot of people considered them, you know, their enemy and really dangerous. And I think that when we look at our own time and we look at people who are upsetting the status quo right once it's once the status quo changes once we're all enlightened it's like oh well of course that was the obvious answer but when people are actually trying to make progress and in trying to solve injustices and trying to make things better when they're actually alive and they're actually fighting these fights um it's it, people are a lot less not quite willing. so
1: self-evident yeah
0: Right. A lot less willing to say, yeah, we'll, we'll follow you. We're going to have a holiday and a statue for you, you know? And I think that that's something that we can really, really should be emphasized as we, as we lead into the, to the holidays celebrating both, both of those men.
1: There's another side to this. Um, The, the dying side of it. And when Mm. I, when I came into the secular community, I was amazed at how little conscious energy had been put into figuring out how we help each other die and how mm-hmm. we help each other grieve. Yeah. I, I've been, I've been stunned by that because in, in, in the faith community, many of the things that people said and did, I found profoundly unhelpful and profoundly wrongheaded headed. Um, people said things like, oh, everything happens, Jesus needed another angel, like she's right. in a better place, things that were not comforting and that did not ring true.
0: Yeah. But
1: there was something about knowing what to say and yeah. what to do that was incredibly helpful at navigating those the, the, those transitions. And I found that the secular folks that I was running across, that they were sort of naked in the face yes. of death um, have you, do you feel like you've figured that out? I mean, you, you had death touch your family. I mean, just your immediate family, your dad died when you were what? 14.
0: That's right. And yeah, I think, you know, I, I keep pitching around this essay called (laughs) that I've been working on called death is awkward. Because I think that especially among secular people, we just don't have a framework of what to say and what to do. And it's so uncomfortable for people because we don't know what to say. And I think that's another thing that we could sort of take a page from religious tradition, not to say the same specific things, um, but to have a, a conversation about it and to teach children that this is part of of existence. And to, um, you know, I think it's really hard when you put like the negative, scary stuff out of your head until there's a crisis. And I think talking about death, um, I have a friend who like anytime anything comes up about death, like, um, or like, you know, whatever, writing a, you know, if you have small children, you should like write, you know, your will and things like that. And like, anytime anything comes up like that, she's like, not to be morbid. And I'm like, it's not morbid. Morbid is like, if you were like hanging around a crime scene or something, this is just part of life that we have to talk about. And I think it's really hard. And I think people are so uncomfortable with it, because it's such a taboo subject. I mean, in many ways, it's so much more taboo than, um, you know, sex or money or like all these other things, politics that used to be really forbidden. But this is, you know, the one thing that that we really do all share. And I Did think... Did you find... Talking, have you
1: found anything? I mean, have you found anything the, that you would add that you would want everyone to I do? The best thing I would
0: say is... Okay, I have two, I have two things. One, a, a family friend told me that when her father died... A colleague of hers, they went to lunch and a colleague of hers said, tell me about him. And I thought, wow, that is a really beautiful thing. Uh, Instead of offering, like, here's how you should feel, say, this person died. Tell me, what was he like? You know, this person didn't know him. It was good. colleague's parent. That's, That's good. And. I thought, wow, that's a really, really good one. And and it's a way of feeling like, okay, they live on a little bit longer. I'm going to tell this other person what they were like. So that has stayed with me. And the other thing I would say is it's not really something to say, but when someone dies, you know, in the first that first week, everybody is there bringing food, checking in, calling. And then a couple of weeks go by, and people go back to their regular lives, which is, you know, totally normal and not a criticism, but that's what happens. And I think sometimes, especially in the cases where it's unexpected, the people, the family is so like in shock that first week, that it's, it's, it's not, that's not necessarily when you need the most emotional support. It's in the weeks and months after when everyone's gone back to their regular life and you're having these moments where you wake up in the morning and you have this thought, something bad happened. What is it? Oh, right. Yes. And you have these experiences where you're like, oh, well, I'll just call. Oh, no can't call that person they are gone forever and um, I think that that is you know even if it's like you set a reminder on your phone for you know, a month after the funeral and you say, okay, I have to remember to keep checking in with so-and-so because they're still in it and it's going to come in waves and it's going to be harder, you know, and when and the person who's died's birthday comes or there's holidays or whatever it is, those moments when everybody else seems like there's nothing wrong and you're really struggling to wrap your mind around the permanence of loss, those are the times when I think support is really important and doesn't always come even from people who mean really well but they think oh well you know I, those first few days i was there and i sent cookies and i did all these things which were great and really nice but it has a very long tail and sometimes that tail is the loneliest part
1: yeah i preside over a lot of wedding or a lot of, a lot of weddings and also a lot of funerals mm. uh, as a sort of a, a chaplain and celebrant mm. and one of the things that i notice is that the services, sometimes there's, there's an unwillingness to, to ritualize them that, mm. that, that I, and that's where I feel like as secular folks, I, I think rituals work better when they're shared. Um, so that, because part of the value of them is in a moment of crisis, you know what to expect. Yeah. And one of the, you know, when you say, tell me about him, one of the rituals that I've appreciated most that I've seen start to emerge is leaving some time and having somebody who's a good facilitator enable people to speak and to say, to say good things about the person who's passed. Mm. Um, And I remember being at my, one of my closest friend's father died and he was a big part of a lot of our lives. Mm. And at the funeral, there were hundreds of people there. He died young and uh, people were saying things and they were telling stories about ways he had touched their lives. And I watched his family and I thought, these guys must be exhausted. This is going on. It went on for an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And afterwards I went to my friend and I said, it must've been hard for you. Like, I know you were probably just like enough, like we need to get on, like we're exhausted. And he said, Bart, I could have sat there all day. Yeah. He said, yeah, I, I got parts of my dad that I never knew. I never knew right. half those stories. He said, it was, it was so precious to me. Um, and I think that, that that's a, you know, to me, the, the ritualized remembering of somebody. Um, and then people start to learn, like, these are the kinds of stories that it's appropriate to tell. And this is the length of time <laughs> it's appropriate to talk. And yeah, I think that, you know, and I think we have to sort of teach each other what, what helps people to reflect and to let go, but also to hold on, you know, that, that there's this, this whole thing. The, the, the other one that comes right to my mind when you were talking about um, people, not pe- everybody showing up at once is one of the mm-hmm. things that we teach in our community. And I mean, we, we have a, every year we, we stop and we have a week that we devote to how to help other people grieve.
0: Um, oh wow.
1: And one of the things that's come up that comes up is we try to teach each other never say if there's anything I can do, you just call me. I'm right here. Just let me know. We always say right. that when a person is grieving, almost by definition, they don't know what they need, or they will feel unable to ask for what they need. So what you you have to do is you have to use your imagination and anticipate and say, "Hey, how about if I come over on Thursday and do the laundry? Probably nobody's going to be doing yeah. the laundry right now. Or how about if I just cut your lawn? Is that okay with you?" And they can say no, but you right. don't you don't make them come up with it. You, I'd like to bring dinner. I'd like to do this. I'd like right. to do that. And
0: that's really good.
1: And that, that's proven to be something that it runs through our community i think now in our community somebody would probably feel like they would catch themselves and they would go like hey if there's oh wait in the same way that yeah. like it's not christian to say like what the fuck um you know right. <laughs> like oh oh i'm sorry i'm in church you're not supposed to say that in a sense like oh right. i'm in this community i'm not supposed to say that because we don't do that here
0: right 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 That's really interesting. That's a really good one. Yeah. I mean, talking about like those, I think I I have noticed a a trend in terms of like those kind of memorials that sometimes get called like a celebration of life those are often like six months after at least in the i i've been to a few that have been like six months after the funeral and like especially in in judaism and in islam you know you have to have the funeral right away um if you're even a little bit religious you know the the person has to be buried within 24 hours. And that's not enough time for a lot of things, including people to come from far away often. And, you know, and then I've noticed, um, there's like a trend, um, of like six months later, especially if it's like happens in the winter and then it's planned for like the summer or spring, um, having a, you know, celebration of life memorial where people come and tell those stories, and and it so feels like it's okay to laugh, and it's okay to have these like really positive um, experiences, and people are actually like at the point in their grief where they're like can f- feel some of the they like take that pleasure, in. yeah, yeah, exactly in having known the person and having loved the person, and not just the raw open wound of the loss.
1: I think the other part of it is, is that at funerals, people, I think it's, I think it's really valuable to look at everybody else and say, now, you know, this is coming for you too. Yes. Like, like this isn't an aberration. We're all going to like, so think, think clearly right now in the light of this moment, you know, how you want to live between now and your moment.
0: Right. Well, it's like, for whom the bell tolls, Right. It tolls, it tolls for thee. Like, it's not, right. The funeral is not, especially if you're a secular, like the funeral is not for the dead person. Right. It's for the living.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and it's, and, and in a sense, you know, you sum up a life and then you, you say like, now we'll we'll be summing up your life in a few years. Mm-hmm. You know, let let's think about that. Let's think about what is it that makes a life meaningful. What are we talking about today? and what aren't we talking about? Are we talking about the, how many deals this person closed? Are we talking about right. how big their house was? We're not, right. are we? We're talking about their relationships. We're talking about the time that they spent with people, how they touched people. you know, so let
0: well, I mean, Sorry, so the greatest example of that ever is Alfred Nobel, who was an arms dealer, and they so a newspaper accidentally printed his his obituary, uh, saying like what a, a terrible person he was as a war profiteer, and he had a total like crisis, you know, emotional crisis, and he created the Peace Prize. Was oh, that a true story? I,
1: yeah I didn't know that I thought it was I thought it was like his parents I, I thought it was his family trying to like paper over his misdeeds but like he saw it he was like oh shit this is what they're gonna say I am
0: Yes, they lit like there was, like a mistake. I think I think with the Google. But I think his brother died, and there was a miscommunication, and a newspaper printed his obituary instead. And he was like, "Oh, this does not look good." <laughs> um And so wow. he went a different direction,
1: oh my gosh. You just reminded me total total random switch of topics. But, like, you just reminded me that there's this chapter I didn't expect in your book
0: oh. about
1: about. For, about about um, forgiveness and atonement, or, or mm. that the which I thought, oh, you know, because in a sense, like I mean, you and I, like we're trying to create a secular religion. We're we're trying yeah. to
0: create. I mean, uh, maybe what I mean what
1: I mean by religion is nothing having to do with supernatural beliefs, but has to do with like a, a shared, a shared communal way of. Pers- of pursuing life's ultimate questions. like
0: Right. But I, my position is to take a very loose framework that is very open to personal interpretation and whatever is right for you. Not like not to, prescribe like very specific things for other people that may not work for them but only share what what has been useful for me but yes oh, yeah so, you're he's saying. so
1: soft you're so soft
0: <laughs> <Like>, telling <laughs> well, this that's is important. what's right no that's how we get into trouble no, do you, you know, know? no
1: you no know, <laughs> I, I actually am am, am am on somewhere in the middle because i think like you get really clear about like this is what's working for me and my friends and so if you've got nothing working for you, you might want to try this. And if this works right. for you, join our tribe. And if this doesn't work for you, figure out what does work for you. And 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 maybe there'll be some people to join that tribe. Like everybody doesn't have to do the same things, but I'm really convinced that people need to be connected to a community that not only shares their values, but that shares some time together and that serves together and raises kids together. I don't think we as a species. I mean, there's a lot of science to suggest we don't do well on our own. Um, sure,
0: but then, but some peeps some. I mean, I for myself, I agree with you, and that is something that I like. I'm very, you know, extroverted, and that is something that I agree is important for me. But. I also think that there are, like, do you ever see those pictures on Instagram that it's like a little beautiful house on an island alone in a fjord? You know what I mean? I do think that there are people who are just more cut out for that um, Yeah, life. I'm sure there and are. I don't, I don't think... want to
1: impose anything on anybody, but I I think right. that if if you think about humanity as a, in a bell curve, the vast yes. majority of human beings are are designed by evolution to be such that they're not, they don't do well when they're not connected. And, you know, you see all this, all these depression and anxiety and suicide out there. It's yes. it's like a clear sign to us that, that this post ritual post community sort of virtual life isn't working for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and yeah, so,
0: no, that's true.
1: So I'm I'm, 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 I just, I know, I know.
0: Mm -hmm. I just don't think I know what's I I guess I'll put it I think sometimes what when you know philosophies get into trouble is when they say you know I I I have the solution you know (laughs) Um, so that's not my position but I do think that there are things that are useful to other people Uh, so I'm just offering those no and and, and 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 my little community
1: in Cincinnati like we're like this is our way like this is our way of of sort of doing life like we're convinced it's a good way for us and like right if if building loving relationships and working together to make things better for others and cultivating a sense of wonder like if that sounds good to you this might be your tribe if that sounds horrible to you if a fjord in in (laughs) Norway sounds like then we're probably not your people like like you probably won't like our songs um
0: right no proselytizing is what you're saying
1: (laughs) all right so Last segue. I, I, I know I got to let you go. Okay. But, no. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, you don't know me very well, but um, I grew up in this evangelical Christian world. Mm. And in that world, in that little subset of world, my dad was as famous and as significant to people as your dad was in the wider world and is in the wider mm. world. Um, so it's, it's like my universe was smaller, but in my universe, my dad was this towering figure and still is.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, um, and so the weird thing is, is that my dad's still alive mm-hmm. and he's in his eighties and I've been through this big spiritual transition. And for a while I was the apple of his eye cause I was the young evangelical, inner city missionary that he was so proud of. Mm. And then I lost my faith. And I mean, he and I have written books together about that transition, you know, um, but like we went through it all together. Yeah. And, and he was this lion and now he is definitely a lion in winter. Mm. Um, And in some ways I feel like I'm going to be able to live with his absence better because I've had a long time to get used to the idea and I've already lost parts of him. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking like if, if my dad was as towering a figure and if people kept coming up to me going like, Oh, you're Tony Campolo's son. Oh, you're so lucky. What's it like? And, and I hadn't had that, that runway. I, I don't know what that would have been like. And I've thought about that when I've thought about you and thought, you know your dad was this towering figure and then snatched away when you were fourteen, like in some ways, I've wondered, do you think it's easier to be to embrace being Carl Sagan's son daughter rather <laughs> is it is it easier because he died young, or is it harder because he died young?
0: Oh, I don't know. I don't think of it as hard. I mean, it's hard that he died when I was fourteen, but I don't think of his you know, being well known as uh, a difficult thing. I think it's, it's, you know, I have all this footage of him. Uh, most people whose don't, family yeah. member died in 1996, they don't have like, I mean, now I think people do because of cell phones, but they don't have like hours of them talking and like the ways like people. Cosmos is a
1: very serious family home movie. Yes. Cosmos yes. Is, that, that's, 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 that's the mother of all home movies.
0: Right. And like, my parents wrote it together and like, you know, and even just him on like the Tonight Show and things like that. And there's stuff like that that I haven't seen yet. That's like still in my future. And I like to keep it there. And I, sl- I mean, there are books of his I haven't read because I'm like, I still have all of this, you know, I mean, slowly I get through it and, you know, I don't want to wait forever, but I'm, I really feel this sense of um, comfort knowing there are words he wrote and moments of him talking that I haven't seen yet, um, that I, that I can still look forward to. And, you know, I talk to people or people write me who are like, were born after he died and love his work and read his work and like, you know, are like 19 or like 19. And he
1: changed their lives. Yep. Yeah. And he changed their lives.
0: And I just think this is really, um, lucky and like it's easy for me it's easier than I mean I it's for me I feel like comforted by the idea that other people miss him too maybe that's like kind of cruel because I'm like taking a positive feeling from like other people feeling sadness but I am like I feel like a sense of warmth when I think, okay, like a lot of people still think about him and a lot of people yeah. still miss him. And so I don't know. I don't know what it would have been but like. Any- I mean,
1: there, there, I mean, there's one right there, sadness. Um, like that's a good thing. It's good to be sad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It,
1: it, it, I mean, if you weren't sad when somebody died, then what was there? I mean, oh, yeah. sad. It's it's the shadow of, of 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 beauty, and 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 it opens you up to things. And so, yeah, no, it, it seems. I, I hadn't. Really, you're right. There are a lot of people that are still sad about him being gone, aren't there?
0: Yeah, and it's like you know. I mean, it's for me. It's like I don't know what it would have been like if he had survived his illness. He would be in his mid 80s now and sometimes I think about like imagining him as like a very elderly person and sometimes I imagine like well or maybe something else would have happened in the 23 years um probably will be 24 years at the end of this year um you know s- since since his death and he wouldn't be here for some other reason or he would be you know uh elderly person um and I try to imagine that and I don't know how I would feel or if you know my emotions would be different but um I I don't know there's something there's something about knowing that other people also miss him right now and in in this reality um that we're in uh that I do find comfort from and you know I feel really lucky to be his daughter and I had 14 years with him and they were great and I I you know, I feel grief and I miss him, but I also feel gratitude.
1: Well, golly, like, okay, so so I'm I'm the worst interviewer in the world sometimes and so um as you saw on many occasions. No um, stop. So I'm wondering like what did I what did I leave out? Like what what is it that you're like that that you think when i want to communicate what's most vibrant to me or what's most important to me this is what i wish he would have asked her this is what i want this is something i want to tell people that's important to me to tell people
0: Oh, no. I think you asked great questions, and they were different than a lot of the questions that I, I get. And I think you're a wonderful interviewer, and you shouldn't be so hard on yourself.
1: That is not the one thing you wanted to share with the world. I think That's Bart's what a great I want interview. you to
0: know, is <laughs> I think you shouldn't be so hard on yourself. That's my right, message. Right. Now, um, you know, I think if you have a little nagging doubt, or you have a lot of nagging doubt, and you think, well... I'm not going to totally give up my my belief, you know, my religion because I love Christmas or because I want to be part of a group or because, you know, I don't want my grandparents to be mad at me. Um, I think there is a, a another way forward where you can let go of the stuff that doesn't work for you and still find a way to honor your traditions and your ancestors and find beauty and, and joy in our understanding of the universe as revealed by science and, uh, and all those revelations that require no faith.
1: Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more, but I think what I'm so grateful for and I, I really am I'm grateful to you for for this book and for your thinking on the subject. Is I think you've broken it down and made and, and made it in very human terms, like for a parent mm-hmm. or for a young couple or for somebody who's who's trying to figure out what to do on the other side of faith when they're fifty. Mm-hmm. I think you know. I think you've taken. I think you've taken them through, you know, birth, but not just birth, weddings and anniversaries, and what you might do in the springtime, when when there's something happening. We all know there's something happening, and 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 there's Easter happening, and there's things happening for other people, and you're like, what? what? And you're sort of like, well, here's how we celebrate.
0: Mm. Here's how
1: we celebrate that, and and even I mean, I, the chapter about sex, um, and tying sex into sort of talking about how natural and how wondrous and how miraculous sex is. And especially at a time when I feel like in so you know, I work with college students and mm. so much of the hookup culture on campus has taken anything sacred and sometimes uh. anything even connected or loving out of sex. And I feel like you've really the gift is that you're you're sort of saying you can in, inject and invest meaning in places where you you thought that if you didn't have a religious tradition, you couldn't get that. And yeah. it's like you're teaching people how to invest meaning and how to create daily rituals and monthly rituals and weekly rituals. Um, I I, I, just, I just think it's a profound service
0: Thank to you. people
1: who in their everyday life are struggling.
0: Thank you so much. That's really kind.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. So you think I'm an okay interviewer. I think you're a wonderful author. So I think, <laughs> I, I, think okay. I think our I work is done great.
0: here. Didn't I say great? I, I am great. You did. You're lovely. <laughs> I, I, now,
1: now, now tell me, tell me just as, as, as we, as we end, what, what do you, what do you, what do you do now? What 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 do you do now? Do you do you write? An, do you have another book in you?
0: I think so. It might take a little while. I want to do a lot of research. Um, I'd like to write a children's book uh, at some point. I think that would be good. And I have some other some other ideas, some other things I'm trying to trying to get going. So we'll see.
1: Well, I I wish you well. Um, I wish you well. I, I, there probably ought to be a ritual for those people that we meet on an airplane or that we meet at a conference that we know we won't see again, probably. Um, or, or what do you mean? I want to come to, to Cincinnati
0: again. and well, I to yeah, come- <laughs> I,
1: I know, but like that's, 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 and, and the, I guess that is our ritual is it, I learned it in LA. It's when you meet people that you'll never see again. And you say, we have to get together yeah. sometime. And they go, yes, yeah. we will. And you know, you, you both know you won't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: I, sometimes I say, see you again to be, I mean, sometimes it's like people in the neighborhood who are like, I know I'm going to see you again, but like, I do, I do like to say, see you again to like, you know, somebody who works like, I don't know, like in a store I like to go into where I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to see them again, but you never know.
1: I, you know, I think I'm getting to the point maybe because I'm older or also because I lived in Los Angeles for three years and I experienced an infinite amount of false Promises, um, <laughs> yes. I think what I'm prone to do is I'm prone to say, say, "I would be thrilled. I'll be thrilled if we get to talk again. But if we don't,
0: mm. I'm just
1: so grateful for this opportunity. This this has meant a great deal to me. And that's, that's really, really true. Nice. Right now. Yeah, I, really I feel, feel that the same
0: way. way. I feel All the right. same way. Thank you, Bart. It's so nice. All right.
1: All right, my friend. I'll talk. I, I'll talk to you again. And if I don't. I'll be grateful for the rest of for the rest of time that I got to talk
0: this time. Thank you. I feel the same way, truly.
1: All right. That was me and Sasha Sagan and I hope you can tell by by that that I just enjoyed enjoyed talking to her and, and and I think she's a wonderful person I actually didn't think I did that good a job as an interviewer um on this one and so I'm going to try to get her back and I'm gonna try to do better next time I need to learn I need to learn um I I was prepared don't get me wrong I was super prepared um I had read the book I I think I maybe but I just I wasn't prepared in my own head to be as present as I needed to be. Um, I was trying to get somewhere and that was a mistake on my part and I apologize. Um, but I still love her and I still think her book is great. And you can find out all about all that stuff on the show notes. Um, but for now I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go with a with a quote and it's not gonna be an Ingersoll quote. Come on it's gonna be a Carl Sagan quote. Every one of us is in the cosmic perspective, precious, if a human disagrees with you, let him live. In a hundred billion galaxies, you will not find another. There you go, baby. Carl Sagan, Cosmos. A good place to end. I'll see you next time. Mike me. For more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at humanize me pod on Twitter and humanize me podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search humanize me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424 424- 424 291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. Hey, you could be larger than life. You